When we hear the lion roar, we know we're in for a journey. We're about to experience a story, and no matter what that story is, there will be a particular point of view just by virtue of the fact that it's being told at a particular time in history and in a particular society. As we know, Hollywood westerns did a lot to shape Americans' vision of the drive from east to west in this country. This is the way Spencer Tracy sums up the victory in how the West was won. The West was won by its pioneers, settlers, adventurers, long gone now, yet it is theirs forever, for they left tracks in history that will never be eroded by wind or rain, never plowed under by tractors, never buried in compost of events. From soil enriched by their blood, out of their fever to explore and be, came lakes where once there were burning deserts, came the goods of the earth, mine and wheat fields, orchards and great lumber mills, all the heritage of a people free to dream, free to act, free to mold their own destiny. Jeremy Dennis is an artist whose work, in part, plays with the shaping power of Hollywood films. He is an award-winning photographer and a tribal member of the Shinnecock Indian Nation on Long Island. And he tells us, Digital photography lets me create cinematic images. Nowhere have indigenous people been more poorly misrepresented than in American movies. My images question and disrupt the post-colonial narrative that dominates in film and media and results in damaging stereotypes such as the noble savage depictions in Disney's Pocahontas. As racial divisions and tensions reach a nationwide fever pitch, it's more important to me than ever to offer a complex and compelling representation of indigenous people. I like making use of cinema's tools, the same ones directors have always turned against us, to create conversations about uncomfortable aspects of post-colonialism. He continues, Despite 400 years of colonization, we remain anchored to our land by our ancient stories. The indigenous mythology that influences my photography grants me access to the minds of my ancestors, including the value they placed on our sacred lands. By outfitting and arranging models to depict those myths, I strive to continue my ancestors' tradition of storytelling and showcase the sanctity of our land, elevating its worth beyond a prize for the highest bidder. There is a show of photographs by Jeremy Dennis at the Hope Horn Gallery at the University of Scranton through April 29th. It's titled Mapping Shinnecock, Sites and Portraits. The show falls under the umbrella of programs related to Scranton's story, Our Nation's Story, an initiative made possible by a grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities. This is Theme 3, Indigenous History. In 2019, Jeremy Dennis paid a visit to the WVIA studios in connection with an exhibit of his work at the Linder Gallery at Keystone College in La Plume, curated by Katie Hovenkamp. We share highlights of that conversation now on WVIA. 
Jeremy, were you a little guy with a pencil drawing in the margins of your school books? How did you know that you had a sensitivity and sensibility for visual arts? Um, growing up in, in school, that's definitely what I was often doing. And I think later on, I realized that was really beneficial to me and a way to um, sort of express my ideas or what I was thinking about. But um, my mom was actually a artist herself, uh, Denise Silva Dennis. So I think there's some sort of passing on of knowledge and skills. And that was really um, inspiring to me. And I think she kind of motivated me to continue. What was her medium? She does oil and acrylic painting. So you just naturally absorbed what it is to be doing art. Absolutely. What about the landscape around? You're a Long Island person and near the water. Oh, absolutely. You can't escape the water being on Long Island. And I live on the uh, Shinnecock Indian Reservation in Southampton, New York. And um, the way our geography is sort of designed is basically we're completely surrounded by water on a peninsula. So we have about 800 square acres and um, everyone essentially walk, can walk to the beach if they wanted to. It's just totally accessible. And we have our own personal beach on the reservation, which is wonderful as well. We do have a broad-based understanding about Native cultures and the sensitivity and the relationship with the land and the sky and the sea, the elements. How much a part of your sensibility forming you as a little one was that? Um. Well, growing up, I kind of felt like, um, especially in the public school system, you kind of skim over that part of um, Native Americans. They were there for Thanksgiving. They might have uh, moved on eventually, but then it becomes um, basically American history and independence. And with my mother and family members and uh, tribal historians, I sort of got some things along the way. But now that we're in the age of information, it's just sort of like a a wave of knowledge coming back and uh, returning traditions and history and storytelling coming back. What about the camera? When did you pick up a camera? Oh, um, <laughs> I was actually a little bit shy. Um, I had a uh, photo class in high school, and I ended up not doing too <laughs> well. So it's kind of funny that now I'm actually mostly a photographer. And every step along the way, whether it's from school, graduate school, and afterwards, I've always had a great mentor and one person I always recognize who's also a relative is Herbert Randall, who did the um, Freedom Summer civil rights photography in Mississippi. So having him five minutes down the road and allowing me to borrow his Minolta and 35 millimeter was just a great sort of stepping stone to my career. He must have told you wonderful stories. Tell us a story he told you. Um, well, going down to uh, Mississippi during that time was certainly a risk. And um, the one he always tells us is that he would often ride with people who were away in the front seats and he would kind of duck down in the back under covers whenever there was a checkpoint or police were um, sort of standing or in their cars. So he was sort of uh, going back and forth through that method. And you learn from stories like that and people like that with courage and principles that art is important. Absolutely, yeah. So you had to find your voice, your own voice, because you have your mom as an example and you have him as an example. How are you sorting things out for yourself then? Well, both of their work is certainly, um, you can tell immediately how purposeful and important their work is. So I think early on I was sort of wondering where's my role or practicality in art? You sort of have to find what your place in the world is as an artist and what your message is going to be. 
So um, after sort of a lot of contemplation and academic sort of contemplation, I eventually uh, settled upon uh, self-exploration and making my questions the actual subject of my work. So um, a lot of it was just asking who I am, where am I, where should I be, etc. And there are different ways of exploring that, right? Absolutely, yeah. Some of the images we've seen that you sent, Katie, for us Mm -hmm. to take a look at, and maybe the ones that we'll see in the show, Mm -hmm. have human figures, models, people in them. How did you make your way to having people rather than abstract images or trees? Oh, well, I love storytelling. And for me, storytelling always begins with at least one person in an environment or on stage, like in a theater. And so portraiture has always stuck with me as my favorite subject to document and photograph. So I sort of felt like um, I kind of have to incorporate that along the way and just maintain that motivation to go out and ask for volunteers or friends or other artists and ask for their portraits and continue that tradition. The statement attached to the show, a number of times the words dreams and myths turn up. How does that aspect of living and life figure into your exploration? Well, mythology, the word itself kind of um, evokes something as, as an adventure or sort of going into a cave and seeking knowledge. So I think they are sometimes over the top, but at the same time, we are living in our own myths and our own legends or the central character in our lives. And um, once we sort of realize that the way that you steer yourself and guide yourself through life becomes much more enchanting and kind of interesting, um, just that method of seeking knowledge, bringing it back and um, helping others, which is usually the narrative and storytelling in myths. We see in the images arrows. Hmm. Arrows mean a lot of things. I mean, Hmm. speaking of myth, it could be Cupid and the arrow and Eros and being shot that way. We know the images, of course, of hunting and uh, hunter-gatherers, and we think about spaghetti westerns and Hmm. westerns with John Wayne and all of those things. So many things, and that's just scratching the surface. What are you exploring when you explore arrows? Uh, well, for me, the work that we're discussing, that's a project called Nothing Happened Here. And if you look at the images on the surface, they kind of reference paintings of St. Sebastian with arrows coming from all sides, this martyr who becomes a saint through his sacrifice. And um, I'm sort of turning that idea in its head a little bit. The title Nothing Happened Here sort of comes from the idea that through all of my research and going through archives, I, I kind of felt like all this new knowledge and self-education should have been in my school curriculum. So I felt like, well, if it's true that all this is being omitted and perhaps nothing happened here, I can kind of pull in my friends and create staged images where, all right, well, there certainly is something happening here, but maybe people can empathize with our kind of presence and history if they see it reversed. You have to be a stage director in a certain sense, don't you? Do you give your models a free reign and then you just take them as they are maybe moving in different poses, like a fashion photographer? How do you work with your models? Oh, certainly like um, fashion photography, you certainly have to um, direct them and pose them. Sometimes it's just telling them to move their whole body in a different direction. Other times it's telling them to move their nose two degrees to the left or right. So after that's completed... I set the camera on a tripod, 
I put on a timer that allows it to take automatic photos every few seconds. And then I actually hold the arrows in place. So it's a little bit of post-production trickery. And in that way, the way I'm doing it, I'm actually in the photos, but then I erase myself out afterwards. <laughs> That's a marvelous mythic power that you as the artist can go... <laughs> Like the gods, right? You're gone. You talk about this series. What other bodies of photographic work have you been creating? Well, in the uh, Keystone exhibit, I have another project called Rise. And they are very similar in their motivation and why I produce them. But Rise sort of takes the history of two New England wars, both from the 17th century. uh, The first one being the Pequot War in Connecticut and then the uh, King Philip's War, um, the first happening in 1636, followed by um, the King Philip's War in 1667, I believe. So looking at those two instances of conflict between indigenous people and the colonists, I wanted to re-explore the idea that Native American people were everywhere. There's a little bit of fear that occurred during that time. And just looking at the concept of, I think we're all familiar with um, some of the unfortunate and brutalities that happened during that period. Perhaps there's some fear that because that happened to one group of people, it might eventually again happen to another group of people. So I think it's important that we learn from history through that lens. You speak very gently about it. Is there some sort of passion in your belly like your mentor, Herbert Randall? who drove down south under covers to keep safe so that he could document what was taking place. Do you have that kind of sense and feeling for what you're doing? Oh, absolutely. Purpose is very clear for me. Whenever you read about indigenous history or contemporary life, it's usually, especially from the indigenous perspective and from authors from Native American descent, it's stories of being invisible or being perceived as a vanished race. Sometimes even face-to-face, people question, oh, how Native are you, or what's your percentage? So um, a lot of my work is um, just answering the question or stating that we are still here, in fact. And um, all the documents and the research that I have behind my work just enforces that idea. How many generations have you known of your family who was alive when you were a little guy? Grandma, Uh, grandpa, great-grandpa, how far (laughs) do they go back? I think just to my uh, grandparents. Did you have a wonderful story that grandma or grandpa might have told you? Well, one thing that's really interesting, not from my grandparents, but from my mom, one of the ways that you become enrolled in our tribe is to have a direct lineage from this one tribal member from the early 18th century. So I think it was only a year or two ago where I was just going through our uh, paperwork in the house and I came across this very large binder of handwritten family ties and lineage and family trees. I I didn't know this about my mother, but she, for years she was doing this research and basically establish how you become a tribal member, which is incredible. What does it mean to you to be a member of the Shinnecock Nation and, and the tribe? How does how does it manifest in your life? Uh, well, in uh, 2010, we became a uh, federally recognized uh, tribe, joining over 560 other mm. tribes throughout North America. And um, being such a small community, we're about a thousand plus or minus people enrolled. 
And especially being an artist in such a small community, you find you, you find yourself very humbled and um, often an ambassador. So you're often in the role of education or outreach or just trying to spread the word of who we are and just helping the public in that way. <laughs> you mentioned the images of St. Sebastian. Do you look at art other than photography? Do you look at photographers to just continue to learn and educate your eye no matter what the background is? Uh, certainly. I, I was actually uh, studying studio art growing up in uh, school, and I sort of wish I were still a painter if I had those <laughs> skills, but um, that would make some things easier and some things harder. But in my photography, I always look to painting in terms of the leniency when you see proportions that are way out of whack or lighting that seems to come from multiple suns in a single painting. So I think that looking to painting as a photographer really gives you a unique sense of what's possible and um, what to strive for. How is your work moving now? Are you finding that you're moving into new areas of exploration or still working out some things that you haven't completed? Well, in 2016, actually, I started a project that looked at our 10,000 years of presence on Long Island. And at this point, I have so many books scanned and archived in my personal collection that I don't really need additional projects, but I am looking for different ways to perhaps travel to complete new work, or I'm looking for new venues to travel exhibits and grants. So it is a never-ending process of funding yourself, making new work possible, and then showing it. Jerry, where can people find your website or a place to see your work? Well, online, I have all my work public, and I keep it pretty much updated. The URL is jeremynative.com, and I'm also on Instagram where I post a lot of news. Jeremy Dennis, fine art photographer and member of the Shinnecock Indian Nation, living and working on the Shinnecock Reservation in Southampton, New York. Jeremy Dennis paid a visit to the WVIA studios in 2019 to talk with us about an exhibit of his work at the Linder Gallery at Keystone College in La Plume, curated by Katie Hovenkamp. We shared highlights of that conversation now in connection with a show of photographs by Jeremy Dennis at the Hope Horn Gallery at the University of Scranton, running through April 29th. The show is titled Mapping Shinnecock, Sites and Portraits. The show falls under the umbrella of programming related to the Scranton Story, Our Nation's Story initiative made possible by a grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities. They are in theme three, and that is Indigenous history. For more information, on the web, scranton.edu, scranton.edu. And Jeremy Dennis has a website, jeremynative.com. Dot com, jeremynative.com.